I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. Yeah. You went out last night. Uh-huh. How was that? It was fine. It was fine. Although, you know, um, I got excited because Akbar was having, they what they advertised was an 80s night, but um, that wasn't really, it wasn't really 80s. It wasn't really 80s. Not all of it. <laughs> I walked into Janet's Runaway, and I'm like, hey, this is 95. Well, you could have asked for a refund. Uh, well, there was no cover. Oh, so well. You, you, I technically couldn't ask for a refund. You get what you pay for. But uh, it's like when if you go, the, the, you know, if you were in the uh, DeLorean and you just can't get back to that time you wanted, I guess. Well, ain't that the truth? Mm. So we went to a wedding. We did. Which was nice. Yes. It made me think, I get asked about being married all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's usually, usually people want to know how, how long we've been married Mm -hmm. and how we met. And the flow of it always, it's always different depending on in what order they ask. Because I feel like sometimes when the gays ask how we met, It's like they're a little shady because they want you to say like you met on like an app and that it's kind of like frivolous or you should be embarrassed even though everyone's on those apps. Mm -hmm. But we met before there were apps. We did. So then usually I'm like, oh, a friend introduced us. And then that goes down a line of questioning. um, Because usually it's like, well, then how long have you been together if a friend introduced you? (laughs) So it's like people want to be shady about the apps, but then when you don't meet on the apps, then they're confused. But um, then after they ask that question, it takes one of two trips. It's either immediately the person wants to explain why they're not married or in a relationship. Yeah. Which is like, okay, I didn't even, I didn't ask you, but okay. Or um, they want to know about the wedding. Yeah. And we didn't have a wedding. That also flabbergasts, yep. Why didn't we have a wedding? Uh, because we were very young and didn't have uh, the requisite funds. And also, we got married at a time where there were only two states you could get married in, so we technically eloped uh, and did it just for ourselves, which is what, to me, a wedding should be, but... Yeah, I mean, I think if someone wants to have a wedding, like a ceremony, like a big ceremony and reception and all the things, then that's great. Like they should have that. But I definitely didn't. Well, you know, back then, back way back then, uh, just because we lived in Minnesota and we flew to Boston to get married and it just would have one. I wasn't about to ask people to come to to fly to Boston. There were several members of my family I wasn't talking to at that time that I didn't speak with for 14 years, actually. And then, you know, even the way that people behaved when we came back, especially the gays, were like, oh, that's cute. I mean, you know, it's not serious because it's not legal here. So I I, I think we were trying to avoid all of that energy. Yeah, yeah. But even... I mean, if I had to redo it today, I, I probably still wouldn't want a wedding. Um, I probably wouldn't even want a reception. Uh, I think we'd have a private little party. Maybe. I, I do think it's more for my own 
<laughs> I don't know. Because then it sounds like I'm shitting on. No, not at all. I mean, but, but I'm not at all. I, I think it's really lovely when people want to celebrate. And, you know, the other thing it made me think is this is the. This wedding was the first gay wedding I had been to, but this is only the third wedding I've been to in my entire life. Wow. I went to, I was in a cousin's wedding 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I was what, like 19? And then my sister's wedding, I attended like oh, 10, 10 years ago. Yeah, I forgot. Yep, that's one I was at too. And then this wedding uh, over the weekend. So I've only been to, you know, I'm 44 years old and I've only been... Uh, to three weddings. I think I've been to six or seven, but yeah, I've and, only been invited. You know, I've, I've maybe been invited to a couple more, but I wasn't able to attend. But yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> the cat just attacked me. Uh, well, but congratulations to the couple. Uh -huh. It's really nice. Yeah, they've been together for five years. Yes. I'm not going to say their names in case they don't want any shine. But And then uh, we drank a lot. They had a little open bar. Drank a lot. Took an edible. Yeah. So I was, I felt great, but I was sleepy. <laughs> by, by 10 o'clock, I'm like, I need to go. Yes, we had started, because we got a hotel, because they don't really live near us. And uh, we started a movie that we tried to finish and did not. We'll talk about that movie shortly. Mm -hmm. But moving on, there's a TV show on Hulu called Drag Me to Dinner. Oh, God, I already forgot we watched that. I'm glad you wrote that down. How oh. many episodes were there? Like six or seven? I don't remember. Yeah. But we got through two of them. Got what, are, what, what are some adjectives you would describe or use to describe Drag Me to Dinner on Hulu? Uh, messy. Chaotic. Chaotic, yeah. Uh, unpleasant. Oh, uh, grading. So uh, the show is, uh, I think, executive or created by Neil Patrick Harris and his husband, uh, David Burtka. That's his name, right? Yeah. David Burtka. It clearly they love drag and Neil Patrick Harris has done a lot of things with drag queens. So I don't think this is like hand. I mean, he really does seem to enjoy drag, which is cool. Yeah, I do but, too. You know, as you like to say often, uh, love is not always enough. Yeah, it feels it's supposed to be like a competition show. It feels like if you took Drag Race and yeah. chopped and nailed it and nailed it and then threw it into One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't know. It's just so Except chaotic. We're, we're, it's really hard to enjoy. We're really missing the Nurse Ratch character then, though. Somebody to abuse them. Oh, my God. Like, I, I these judges, because it's Neil Patrick Harris, his husband... Then you have Bianca Del Rio and a fourth judge named Hanifa Wood. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm assuming she's like a Broadway. They keep saying she's a Broadway star. But these four, I don't know what they're judging because the competition is they have every episode, they have a theme and then they have two sets of drag performers like trying to recreate the theme. So it's kind of like on Drag Race when they have those challenges where they have to create like a hotel room yeah. based on like Michelle Visage's style or Ross Matthews. Bar it's kind of like that. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. But it's, it's clearly like these Queens are not creating anything. It's just like, they're given props that the production had, and then they just slap it on the table. So really what they're trying to do to make up for that is be charismatic and, and do comedy. 
Uh-huh. But there are no, I, I don't think there are any writers on the show. No, I don't think so. And if they are, they should be fired. So it's nothing but Queens ad-libbing. And so we tried to get through the one with Jada Essence Hall. I think we turned that one off. Heidi in Closet, Naomi Smalls in Kimchi. And that was unwatchable. Yeah. Then we were able, I think the best one is probably the one with Jackie Beat and Sherry and Vine. Sherry Vine. Mm-hmm. Those two seemed the most, well, Jackie Beat's a writer. So I feel like her portion of it was the most um, enjoyable. But then she was paired with Ben De La Creme and Jinx Monsoon. And Ben De La Creme is so grating to me. I don't like those Christmas specials that for some reason that somebody keeps financing. I, I just don't like, I hate that fake ass persona of... Uh, from Ben. From Ben. Like if you lobotomize Doris Day and... Oh, it makes me feel very unsafe. Yes. Ben De La Creme. I, I know that sounds crazy, but because I've seen him out at like precinct a couple of times. He Same. was at like a drag brunch. We went to a precinct, yep. like as a patron. And it's just like, yeah, his demeanor out of drag. I know that there it's a character and he's not that person, but I don't know. Something about him makes me so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I know. And I know he's uh, explained his reason for that persona. I just don't care for it. Oh, the ho- and, and then there's like a host of the show, which I feel like uh-huh. it's very um, like Nick Cannon on America's Got Talent. I don't know why we need this person, but it this person's name is Murray Hill, who I think is a trans man. Uh, I found him kind of cute because he... Definitely the best part. Yeah, and he, like, it, it seems like whenever he doesn't know how to respond to someone, he says, showbiz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, Which is funny to me. And then Dave Burka has this alter ego that comes named... Uh, Something Sue. Sue like Aunt Sue. Oh, Sue Chef. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I think David Burka by trade is a chef, maybe. I don't know this person very well. <laughs> His skill set is described as the life of the party which he is not. He not. is a professional chef, yes. He's not a professional life at the party. Not a life my party. I don't want to be a hater. He's He seems like he's having fun. He, <laughs> he seems does. like he's probably a nice guy. He is a handsome man, but I just feel like, you know what it feels like? These two got a production deal with Hulu to come up with something, and then they probably sat at home one evening and came up with this idea, and then they just went to production. Like It, it does not feel refined or worked through at all. It doesn't. It feels like if you'd filmed like the sleepover parties I had in junior high, they were fun for me. I don't know about for anyone to witness. I have to tell a story. I was at McDonald's um, yesterday getting my 99 cent coffee in the drive-thru. And this particular McDonald's, the drive-thru is weird because it starts right in the parking lot. So you're always hanging. Like, even if there are only two cars in line to place their order, you're blocking the entire parking lot. So there are two cars in front of me and the, but the car directly in front of me was this black Kia Sportage, which is like a little SUV. And I can see from the side view mirror on the driver's side that there was a lady driving and I could see in from the, the rear view window that there's like a person, like an adult in the back. And so the cars move forward and then this car doesn't move. But I'm not, you know, I'm not impatient in that way because it's like, well, even if they don't go, we still, I'm not going to get my coffee any sooner because there are cars in front of him mm-hmm. or her. But I'm sitting there and the car's not moving. And then all of a sudden, the rear passenger door opens and this adult man gets out 
-hmm. and he looks kind of confused keeping in mind there are no cars in front of him there is plenty of room for him or the driver to like exit the drive-through like they could have just left this man grabs a baby like maybe like a baby that's like a year old you know i don't know how old kids are but the the baby was like little and had a diaper on (laughs) they took the diaper off this baby and that baby took a shit like popped his little squat like they held it and it was squatting like in like right in front of me in the parking lot uh, and in the drive through lane like blocking it mm-hmm. so this baby could shit <laughs> when the baby was done they picked it back up and threw it in the car were these people white or the man was white the lady looked asian to me um, okay it was very strange because i was like the baby had on a pamper a diaper but then also like it they didn't wipe the baby's bottom so it's like you threw this shitty baby back in the car yeah, I get baby brash. Uh, uh, I was very confused why they took the diaper off. Why they? Because then after they were done, she kept going in the drive-through. Like she was not not going to get maybe, her Big Mac or what? Maybe it's the last pamper they had. <laughs> oh, is that your restaurant story this week? Oh no. Oh, so moving on to restaurants, oh. we got to see your sister over the like last week sometime. She was in town for work, but she was staying. In, yes in, in uh, uh chatsworth i was gonna say chula vista yeah chatsworth so we were like well, there weren't a lot of options near her hotel to eat but we asked the front desk person to recommend a place and they did and it happened to be a place you had looked up so los, i thought oh well there we go perfect it's been recommended los toros and it's called uh los toros and i don't know why there was something that happened there, and now I just totally forgot what it was. <laughs> the Kiwanis Club. No, that wasn't it. Damn. Uh, there was something that happened. There? I thought my food was mid, but. Mid was, yeah. We had a great time. And then there was a cocktail called Nick's. Papa Nick's. Papa Nick's, which was very sweet. Yeah, I don't like margaritas. Well, the problem with sweet margaritas is like they can still be strong, but you can't tell. Yeah. I... They make me feel ill, I think, after too many. But I did enjoy um, my food. But I now I, wow, my mind just went blank. Well, we got to move on to the next restaurant. You got, you got the, uh, the fries you usually like. No, that wasn't it. Something happened that I wanted to mention, and I didn't write it down. <laughs> so With a patron? <laughs> I might need to cut this off or uh, edit this out. But we also went to um, Gideas Tacos in the Arts District. Mm-hmm. which I'd been to before and you had, and I had been to before um, the side, the taste of everything's great, but the side beans and rice, I have to say are really, especially those beans. I, so I wanted to mention it because the beans are, the, those are the best refried beans I've ever had. Like, and they look like if you took refried beans and mixed them with like split pea soup, what yeah, do you think is in those beans that make them look green? Uh, I'm not sure, but the texture, it's like they, they kept, uh, yeah and what's funny is these sort of like trendy taco places where it's like a little tacos eight dollars it kind of bothers me because you really need like three tacos yeah so it's like well now i'm paying 24 dollars for three tacos and i still don't have beans and rice but then the beans and rice are cheap they are they're five dollars each and you get a huge bowl Mm -hmm. and there were four of us and we had more than enough and you also ate guacamole which you never do and i never ever ever eat guacamole and i was eating their guacamole and i thought it was good and that was the first time i've ever ordered ceviche and you had ceviche you liked it it was pretty good and then i had this interesting like tostada that had like 
squash and fried egg on it. I thought mm -hmm. that was very tasty. Everyone had cocktails. I did enjoy that restaurant. I would recommend it. It's pretty yeah. basic though. Mm -hmm. For the price, I feel like you're sitting in like, I, is, I mean, a Chipotle is nicer. And it is Gurria, not Gorilla Tacos. I think they're... Yeah, I kept calling it Gorilla's Tacos. Well, because isn't there a Gorilla Mural in there or something? I Maybe. I don't know. But I'm I'm laughing because, you know, it's not a cheap place to eat. And it's in a trendy neighborhood. And you can tell they're trying to be trendy. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden you're like, I recognize these bowls. Oh, and I'm like, okay. He's like, we've had these bowls, and I'm and I didn't recognize them. I'm like, I don't think so. He's and you're like, yes, we did. We got them from IKEA, and I'm thinking, there's no way this restaurant has IKEA bowls. And I dumped for these shit. prices. And you took that bowl, covered the top with your hand, and flipped it over. And sure enough, it was an IKEA bowl. Caught red-handed. That made me laugh. But anyway, mm -hmm. moving on to films released, we didn't cover expendables where the a is the number four so i guess this is the fourth installment of this epic franchise yeah directed by scott waugh uh starring sylvester stallone and jason statham and fitty cent oh fitty's in it fitty half uh, dollar this well yeah so i didn't see it the press screening was the night we had dinner with my sister so and i think we made a wise choice in avoiding it i i've seen the first two i believe I remember one when we lived in Minnesota, we you are a Nick Cage fan, and we were going to go see Drive Angry with Amber Heard and Nick Cage, okay. but it was a 3D, so the tickets were, you know, not cheap. Okay. They were like $27 a piece or something. Oh. And this was, what, 2010? You're, you're like, I'm not going to that. I'm not paying that. So we instead, instead you, read, you read box the first Expendables, and that's why we watched that. Oh. Um, but yeah, I don't really like these films, so I'm fine. I was fine skipping it. Next, Stop Making Sense. Uh, they re-released the Jonathan Demme documentary about the Talking Heads, which is considered, oh. I, I think, one of the best music documentaries ever made, and I've never seen it. And I like Talking Heads. I think the I main do. guy, his like performance style is cute. <laughs> so I would watch that, but uh, we didn't. we didn't get to it. Carlos, uh, a documentary about Carlos Santana, directed by Rudy Valdez. Carlos Santana, the the Maria Maria, yeah, mm -hmm. oh, amongst many many. Uh, he had that one song with those two rappers in the same album. What's it called? Uh, and the one with Rob Thomas. The, that the, that oh god, that was so huge. My mother <laughs> yes. would listen to that in the living room and sing. And but uh, didn't he? Uh, is it Black Magic Woman? What's that other song he had? Oh. Yeah, it's Black, Black Magic, Magic Woman. Uh, that I remember listening to as a kid. Uh, there's a film called Neither Confirm Nor Deny. Uh, yeah, so this is a 2020 film that I think got a VOD release from a debut from Philip Carter. And it's it sounds interesting because it's a, listed as a documentary and a drama thriller, but it's about... Uh, American spies locating a sunken Soviet submarine before the Russians can find it and get caught in a game of cat and mouse, which sounds very familiar. I've seen several, many films like that. Lastly, Spy Kids Armageddon. And Robert Rodriguez has returned his Spy Kids franchise, uh, courtesy of Netflix. Hmm. I never saw any Spy Kids films. I know Antonio Banderas and is it Carla Gugino? Gugino? Yeah, mm -hmm. I haven't either. Well, let's take a break. 
Moving on to films we watched for fun. You saw The Realm of Fortune? Yes. So uh, at the Cinematheque last Sunday, they are having they were having an Arturo Ripstein retrospective. And he was there. Um, I think oh. it was the last. Because they showed Deep Crimson and oh, The Devil Between the Legs, which I love. Uh, he, which was his last film. Oblique Street is great. I don't know how many introduced, but I think this is the last one. And his wife slash regular screenwriter, Paz Alicia Garcia Diego, were both there to introduce the film, which was, a, I thought, a real treat. And there was, no. all, it's, it was, you know, it was four in the afternoon. And there were only like maybe, there were maybe 15 people there. Yeah. Um, People don't know what they're missing. Uh, but this is based on a novel by uh, the very uh, celebrated, notable author Juan Rulfo. Uh, and uh, it's about a cockfighter who rises through the ranks uh, and becomes notorious and has uh, amasses a fortune in a mansion uh, thanks to his wife who's treated like a talisman and then loses it all. Uh, it, it's very interesting. Uh, Ernesto Gomez Cruz is the lead. Uh, Dionisio, I think was his character name. Uh, but I also really like Blanca Guerra, uh, who you might remember as Concha from my favorites, Alejandro Jodorowsky film, Santa Sangre. Uh, but it's, it's very bizarre and very weird. And I highly enjoyed it. Then you saw Isadora Duncan. Yeah. Ken Russell. I, I have a collection of the films he directed for the BBC in the sixties. And he did a film starring Vivian Pickles as Isadora Duncan, uh, that I was curious to watch. And I'm not going to say I loved it, but it's, it, it, I find Isadora Duncan kind of fascinating. And I have the Vanessa Redgrave film, uh, directed by Carol Rise, I think where she was Oscar nominated for playing Isadora, but, uh, it, it was okay. It was okay. I tried to watch Legally Blonde 2. This was garbage. And garbage. I could not. It was, I mean, I got through like 70% of it. You did. And Ugh. You, uh, directed by Charles Herman Wormfeld, who I don't think has directed a feature since, but was known for the queer indie kissing Jessica Stein from a couple years before that, which I still never seen. Is it the same writer? I don't think so. Well, I don't understand what happened. Like Elle Woods in the first movie is this smart, confident, lady who seems like she wants to do something with this you know education she's earned for herself and then we get to the second movie and she just seems so vapid and ugh, this i hated everything about it um from the opening till i i left the room it's painful the the, painful. the 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 main plot point is that She's getting married to Luke Wilson. Mm -hmm. He's got nothing to do in this. And all of a sudden she realizes, oh my God, because her dog Bruiser, she's like, oh my God, we didn't invite Bruiser's mom and dad, mm. but he's a rescue. So she pays like the top private investigator in Boston to find Bruiser's parents. And this guy finds the mom. We don't see how, but he's like, oh yeah, she's at this place. And it's like a cosmetics like a manufacturer and they're testing on animals. So she decides that she wants to um, push forward legislation to ban that. Ugh. And then Sally Field plays this like congressperson who's helping her, but then that she's kind of crooked and, oh, it's so dumb. I, I was so disappointed and in how poor, Elle ended up. And poor Regina King. Oh my gosh. And you know, I really like Regina King and even she couldn't save this horrible dialogue. No, but I, when she popped, when her name popped up on screen, I'm like, wait, in my mind, 
because I believe she's in Miss Congeniality. Too. She's in Miss Con- Congeniality too. Yeah. Oh, two terrible sequels. Oh, um, and and just a, a wasted cast in this. I I really didn't like it. The only thing from that movie that I think, well, obviously Jennifer Coolidge talking about how like her outfit reminds she. <laughs> She goes, oh, it makes me want a hot dog real bad. That's the only That's the only thing from that movie that's salvageable. Um, Bob Newhart as a doorman. Like an an, an idiot savant doorman. I don't understand what they were trying to do with him. Oh, and Sally Field and that blonde hair. And it's funny because the casting should be good because Sally Field's first foray into fame was Gidget, right? Yeah. And she's a, what do they call Lambda New or yeah. whatever sorority Elle Woods is a part of, Sally Field is a part of. And then I think Reese looks really off. And I know she was pregnant during filming, but her hair. Her wigs are kind of like, okay. Because I guess she'd cut her hair short for Sweet Home Alabama, which I've never seen. Uh, the wigs aren't the worst wigs you've seen. Um, but yeah, it, it just something about it is so off. It felt off, like from jump. I don't know. It was, it's trash. Okay, uh, you watched the Week and the Wicker. The we oh the Week and the Wicked. Oh, <laughs> I was going through the notes kind of fast. The Week and the Wicked. Uh, I've I've owned a copy of this forever. It's a fifties uh, Jay Lee Thompson film, uh, based on a book about this woman's experience going to prison, and he later married the author of that book. But uh, it's a, it's a women in prisons film, a, a women in prison film. Uh, that kind of is vignette style, but it's all tied together through the central character played by Glynis Johns, uh, whom I think nowadays people probably best remember as the grandma from Superstar. I think it's her last movie. Oh. Uh, but she's still alive. She, she's turning 100 next week. Oh, wow. But she's just a cute little thing. She's so sweet and innocent-like. Uh, she got she gets caught writing a, a fraudulent check and then gets, oh, serves a year in prison. Uh, but it also stars Diana Doors. And this is back in the... this Diana Doors uh, didn't... She fell off a cliff. Uh, Let me see here. But she was... Diana Doors was young and beautiful in the 50s. You know her from that Joan Crawford film. Oh, gosh. She almost looks like, like, a, like a more... Yeah, she's... She's beautiful. Them eyebrows, though, in the 50s. There is a film J. Lee Thompson directed after this I've never seen. Same, uh, based on the same writer's novel called Blonde Sinner. That sounds really good. She She's almost giving me, like, if Scarlett Johansson got cast to play Marilyn Monroe. Oh, sure. She would look like you're Diana sure, Doors. Don't you remember her in Berserk with Joan Crawford? No. She kind of looked, she'd gone to seed a little bit by then. It's kind of like Anita Ekberg, like, oh, just voluptuous and beautiful. And then like, what happened, girl? Uh, but yeah, The Weak and the Wicked. And it's known by other titles as well. But if you like women in prison films, it's worth looking up. You watch something called Icy Breasts? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> um yeah, I've had a, I've had a region two copy of this forever, so I think I was trying to like some of the stuff I've had sitting for years that I haven't watched. So uh, it stars Alain Delon and Muriel Dark. I don't really care for Muriel Dark, uh, but the main problem of the film is technically the male lead, Claude Brasseur, who is so fucking unlikable and gross. Anyway, he's this he's a TV writer. This this film is made in seventy four directed by George Lautner. It's also known as the title Someone is Bleeding. <laughs> but I like Icy Breasts better. Uh, 
and it's about this TV writer who sees this woman walking on the beach one day who's kind of I don't I don't think Muriel Dark is that impressive looking, but that's just me. But he's becomes obsessed with her and she's in a strange situation with her lawyer, played by Elaine Delon, and it turns out that she's murderous and kills her lovers. Oof. And and that's about it. There are no breasts, certainly no breasts that seem icy. Uh but yeah. Uh, another movie I couldn't get through, Me, Myself, and Irene. Ugh, I remember renting this with my dad, and I don't recall any kind of thought about it. There were certain scenes that I sort of remember, but this is also trash. None of this this comedic scenario does not work, not for me. Ugh. I my When you put it on, I was thinking, oh, I recall liking this when I saw it X years ago but like 2000 yeah, the comedy does not work for me i you know i'm 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 not trying to look at it from a 2023 lens but i think the joke that these three black kids are smart and that's the joke is yeah. so offensive to me and i don't know how that could be funny in any time like i just don't know how they thought that was funny in 2000 whatever yeah and one of whom is played by anthony anderson uh, and then they're not even written well. No, they just swear a lot. Yeah, but then they like reference like and no thing. They seem to know a lot about science, but it, it, I mean that is just so unfunny. And then Jim Carrey is, I, I think, Hank is his alter ego, who's this doing a Clint Eastwood impression. I think. He has a, diso a dissociative disorder, which was sort of uh, was the result of him not being like advocating for himself. Yeah. He's a cop, and everyone is he's very passive. And one day he just cracks. Mm -hmm. And so now he's like this Clint Eastwood type person, but then he's not effective as a badass. No. I, I think that's the biggest, it should have been like, I mean, then it would have kind of been like the mask mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, he's capable and confident. And cause I wanted him, there are moments when he goes off on people who are rude to him that are somewhat satisfying. But then he's still kind of dumb. I mean, when he half drowns a little girl, that's amusing. Yeah, but that's like in the first, what, 10 minutes right. after that. Oh, and then Renee Zellweger. Oh, Renee. Ugh. I just thought she was so grating. Yeah. You watched something called Stuff and Dough? Yeah. because uh, That I, sounds like a good uh, like bakery shop name. Mm -hmm. I got the stuff. I got the dough. Come on over, Joe. Uh, I, it's Christy Pugh's first film from 2001, which I've also had in Region 2. Any relation to Augustus Prue? Pew, oh. not Pru. P U I U. It's kind of like Florence Pew. No, P U I U. Florence Pew is P U G H. Pepe Le Pew. No, that's different spelling. I don't have any more. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> he's like kind of the, well, he's kind of the godfather of the Romanian new wave. Uh, <sighs> what? That's quite the distinction. Uh-huh. Okay. Anyway, I like Christy Pew quite a bit. Uh, but I, I actually that's what I was doing yesterday was writing a review for his new film, uh, MMXX, which is 2020, uh, which is about to premiere tomorrow, I believe, in competition at the San Sebastian Film Festival. Uh so yeah, I caught up with his first film, which is which is worth a look. Played at Director's Fortnite at Cannes in the year two thousand one. You watched a movie called Once. John Carney's uh sophomore film. I Technically, I had a John Carney double feature because I watched this on the same night we watched Flora and Son, and I felt like this is his most major uh, cinematic contribution, really, because uh, this film was wildly popular and, of course, won an Oscar for Best Song in 2007. So I, I felt I needed to watch that. And I, I needed. And it's very sweet, very simple, very simple. 
Not unlike myself. You're not simple. <laughs> You're not sweet. Uh, you, you watch. Be. You watched High Crimes. Ugh, this is garbage. <laughs> Kaka, terrible. Oh my god. Doo doo. You know the. I. Okay. I remember. Can, one, oh, never mind. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I just. I don't want to say who's who's doing this, but we know someone who's uh, selling their doo doo for money. We do. And <laughs> I just think it's brilliant. And she, yes, she. And she, when she talks about her doo-doo, she does say doo-doo, and I, it just makes me smile so hard. <laughs> well, the intake man, uh, she also thought was cute and is trying to flirt with him, and I don't. <laughs> I could listen to her talk about her doo-doo, uh, <laughs> and we were doing, well, okay, never mind. <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> I don't think she listens to all the podcasts, so I think, uh, <laughs> Anyhow, in 2002, I remember when High Crimes came out. I remember driving to Virginia, Minnesota. And this is right before I had a driver's license. So I had to depend on the kindness of my dumb, dumb friends who were all a big bunch of stoners and could never make it anywhere on time. But we, I remember I convinced them somehow and to go to Virginia, Minnesota to see High Crimes because it wasn't playing in the town I lived in. And the one, you know how like not, movies that aren't making any money they'll like have one 945 show of we missed it by five minutes and oh. so we had to see and i've never forgiven them or this film changing lanes with ben affleck and samuel jackson Damn. <laughs> which i feel like i should rewatch. it's a roger michelle film but uh i was i remember just being so mad because we, we had driven you know it's like 45 minutes we can't we had to we have to watch something and it was fucking changing lanes with Ben Affleck. Ugh. Uh, anyway, so I, for whatever reason, I finally watched High Crimes, directed by the great Carl Franklin. Um, I hated it. It's terrible. It's Ashley Judd has that that pixie two thousand two haircut that I, I wish you had watched it because you could eviscerate it better than I could. But she's got these little baby hairs. She plays this. <laughs> Let me look at a San picture. Francisco lawyer whose husband is Jim Caviezel. They very annoyingly are trying to get the film opens where she's like, oh, it's time. Am I uh, we have to have sex because I'm trying to have a baby and it has to be in this position, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, it's revealed that he killed a bunch of people somewhere in Central America in the late 80s and has changed his identity. And he's put on military trial and she goes to defend him and she's doesn't know military law. So she has to um, get uh, Morgan Freeman, who she's reuniting with from Kiss the Girls, to assist. But he's an alcoholic. Uh, it's really bad. What's the movie with Morgan Freeman and Florence Pugh where he's an alcoholic? A good life or something, a good, a good person. Oh. The Zach Braff movie. <laughs> this an Adams, a very a young Adam Scott uh, is also assigned to the case. Oh, and poor Paul J. Parker. I mean, I know Carl Franklin is probably throwing her a bone, but pops up in one scene as a hooker. That's got to uh, have a, a scene with a young Michael Shannon. Uh, you rewatched Blade Runner. Yes, because we saw the creator, which I was kind of disappointed in and it made me hung i haven't watched blade runner from start to finish in over 15 years so i was like it was time uh so that was a nice because that i would consider i that that i give a five star to even though on a on a like a 4k resolution you can see the death scene of joanna cassidy as a stunt double but uh b besides that i think this is really 
this is a perfect film. The score by Vangelis, I, I love it. It's dark and brooding. Uh, Los Angeles in November of 2019. <laughs> you watched uh, Huesteta, The Bone Woman? Yeah, directed by Michelle Garza Cervera. This, I think, was released this past year on Shudder, and it sounded interesting. It's got some interesting things in it, but it, it pretty much is a standard uh, pregnant woman going crazy and some witchy stuff going on, but yeah. It's worth a watch, but it's nothing exceptional, really. Lastly, we watched Absolute Power. This is when we uh, we were at the wedding and we stayed in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So we had started this movie before we got ready to go to the wedding. And then when we returned from the reception, we finished it. I, I think I fell asleep. We, fell asleep. we had to technically finish in the morning. So then we had to put it back on in the morning to finish it. But it stars Clint Eastwood. Directed by him. It's, oh, he directed it as yeah, well? 1997. Mm-hmm. Gene Hackman's in the thing. He's the U.S. president. The Allstate man. Dennis Haysbert, Scott Glenn. That lady I don't care for. Um, lady, Oh, you don't like Laura Linney. They're in it. Melora Hardin. Oh, God. The Secret Service people. This movie. Is... Oh, and Judy Davis, <laughs> who is chewing the scenery. Oh, God. it's. I. I'm glad I watched it. I don't I, think it's a good movie. <laughs> it's sad, but you know, the last union of Gene Hackman and uh, Clint Eastwood before this was Unforgiven, which Gene Hackman won a second Oscar for. It's a great film. The story is so weird because Gene Hackman plays the president and Clint Eastwood plays like a, a like a thief. A jewel thief. Like a jewel thief. So he breaks into a home, uh, the home of a billionaire, I believe. Yeah, it's Melora. It's E.G. Marshall's home, yeah. And this billionaire is like a supporter of Gene Hackman. Like, basically, he's the reason Gene Hackman is president. Let him tell it. They're best friends. But Gene Hackman is having an affair with the billionaire's wife, this younger woman. Melora Harden from the hot chick in Lambada. And things are getting a little rough. And Gene Hackman starts like physically assaulting her. So she well, tries to defend herself. He slaps her and she goes, you're not going to slap me. <laughs> he So then they start fighting and she gets on top of him with like a letter opener. And it looks like she's about to stab him when Gene Hackman's like, help, help. And Secret Service come in and kill her. So, of course, he's like, oh, my God, we need to cover this up. So his like chief of staff, that lady. Judy Davis. And the two Secret Service agents played by. Hayes Burt and Scott Glenn. They disposed of this body, but then because Clint Eastwood was in the house burglarizing it and watching from the closet, he sees everything that happens. And then these dummies left behind the murder weapon in a Ziploc bag. So Clint Eastwood took it and now he's antagonizing them. But then while that's happening, the billionaire has hired someone to try to kill Clint Eastwood. Oh, but, Richard Jenkins. Mm-hmm. But then the Secret Service, they're also trying to kill Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. so that the president doesn't get in trouble. And so that's there's this cat and mouse game for the entire movie. And then there's the cops uh, with Ed, led by Ed Harris. That's right. Ed Harris is in the thing. Great trying cast. to talk to Laura Linney to get info because she's estranged from her father. Mm-hmm. But everything culminates with what I thought was... <laughs> Clint Eastwood ends up like incapacitating the chauffeur of the billionaire Mm -hmm. and then gets in his car and says, Oh, Hey, I'm the guy you were trying to kill. Guess what? I didn't kill your girlfriend. You know who did it. And the, the billionaire is like, no, it can't be. Mm -hmm. And Clint Eastwood's like, when you go to bed at night and you have nightmares about who killed your lady, that face you think of, that's who did it. And he's like in anguish, like pounding his head into the limo window. 
And then we cut to this billionaire walks into the White House like it's his house. The mm -hmm. the security are like, oh yeah, Mr. So-and-so, come right on in. He walks right into, I guess, the Oval Office. Mm -hmm. And then it's implied that he killed the president. Mm -hmm. I thought that was ridiculous. It's, that it, writing is terrible. It And it's <laughs> a script by William Goldman. Um, but very strong opening. But then, mm -hmm. you know, it just doesn't make sense that Melora Hart. The, so the two Secret Service agents are out there. And they implied that they've heard, like, violent sex with the president before. Because Judy Davis asked, like, why didn't you didn't hear sounds of violence? But Melora, so Melora Hardin knows these men are out there things are getting heated and violent she seems scared because that's, right. that's a captivating scene because it's, it is it's it's grueling you know uh but then it's like so you know this man personally this u.s president he's friends with your husband and you are letting it escalate this far like you're not calling for help right um i think it, it would have that story would have worked better for me if this woman was a stranger to him like she had just been picked up in the street she's an unknown quantity right so that makes sense that they would murder her not the wife of his billionaire best friend that no, got him the president that's so stupid yeah because really the, the the problem too is like this movie's too many things because it's like about this jewel thief who sees this thing then you have the president trying to cover it up then you have the police like i mean it's a really shitty procedural on how they're trying to figure out who did it it's just doing too many things and i and i agree the the fact that it's like the billionaire like donor who is best friends with the president it's his lady no it should have just been a random prostitute and maybe like we really focus on the fact that this person who's also like a bad guy witnessed it so then they play this game of like no one's going to believe you mm -hmm. and plus we know you're guilty of stealing these jewels no. they don't even focus on that really there's just a a drawer full of cash oh I don't even need these jewels. Got to get rid of them. Uh, the And then the kinky, weird things about it. It's like Clint is just too kind of a rigid, conservative persona, I think, to really tackle this. It's kind of like Midnight in the Garden of Evil, which I think was done the same year. But it's E.G. Marshall confirms that there's a chair. That's the what Clint Eastwood's sitting in when he sees the murder with, it, with this two-way mirror. And that's because his much younger wife would bring... They He'd be... Like cuckold. Uh, he's cuckold, yeah. yeah. Because um, she, he can't please her sexually because he's too he's too damn old, and it's like and and that's who you went through another old white man girl. Right, Gene Hackman is the I mean I, stud. I, he's no, the, I mean I guess he's the president. Absolutely but... not. He ain't no Bill Clinton. Well, Barack. Anyhow, um, well, there is an entry in the obituary section, which is actually quite sad to me. Um, Irish Greenstead died a couple of weeks ago, but I just realized it yesterday. She's a member of the group 702. Oh. And I think if people don't know who 702 is, I think their most popular song is uh, Where My Girl's At from the Front. <laughs> yeah, to back. I remember that. I, they think their first big song was Stilo, which was written and produced by uh, Missy Elliott. They have that song on the Pootie Tang um, soundtrack that I think is really cute. Oh, Pootie Tang. They did uh, their. I, a later album was written and produced by the Neptunes. So Pharrell before he was Pharrell, Pharrell. She, um, she's in Tiffany, the doll Irish. Yeah. So, and then if people can't quite place her, so Irish was the, the, the group that became popular was, uh, two sisters, Irish and, uh, Lamisha and then Camila and Irish and Lamisha are sisters. And then if you're picturing the three of them, it's like, 
Lamisha is the most fair skin. Irish is in the middle. And then Camila has a much darker skin tone. And Irish is the one who had the piercing in her eyebrow. She died. So she's only 43. She's only 43. So, you know, I went to, you bought me that ticket to Lovers and Friends, that big music festival in Vegas. And there were some major people performing mm -hmm. um, Mariah Carey, Missy Elliott, Usher, Christina Aguilera. I didn't go to see them. Mm -hmm. I went to see these smaller groups that I probably would never get to see. Mm -hmm. So, like, I wanted to see them franchise boys. I wanted to see, like, Bobby Valentino. I wanted to see Lil Mo. And I was especially excited for 702. But when they came out on stage, there were only two of them. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, Irish was not there. And then I saw on Instagram that she's had, like, some serious health issues. Uh oh. Okay. So she had been sick, and that's why she wasn't performing. But if you go on their Instagram page, they have a they still have concerts that they had scheduled before she passed, and they're still up, like ready to go. Mm -hmm. There's one actually coming to LA in two weeks with like Keith Sweat, and which is probably a concert I would enjoy. But that's really sad. And I have a little bit of a history with them because I went to college in Vegas, and that's seven hundred two is the Las Vegas area code, mm -hmm. and they're from there. But the group originally. Uh, was comprised of four members, um, one of whom's name was Amelia, and I used to work with Amelia. Mm -hmm. So, um, so of course, like that was exciting to me because she got kicked out the group. She recorded the first album that we know, but then when they started to get popular, she was out. But then I was wor I worked with her, so of course it was very exciting that like she was part of the group. We would talk about it, but also. I used to work at Wells Fargo, mm -hmm. like as a bank teller, and Irish and Lamisha would come in to cash their checks from like the record label. So I would see them all the time, which of course I thought was so cool. Yeah. But this is so sad. Like, the, yeah. The, what, I mean, she's young, beautiful. Like she. So it didn't say what it. Was. It doesn't say what it was, but their career, like over the past year, they had started to perform again. So it seemed like. You know, they might have a resurgence, you know, probably never have a hit record again, but like a lot of 90s R&B groups like SWV and Escape and all these groups coming back and having nice careers touring, it seemed like they could have also done the same. Or getting stuff, getting kind of TV shows. Like, or like a reality wasn't show. was like Mary Mary? Yeah, well, there was like that super group show where they took um, some women from like some larger groups. Um, and put them together to try to make a super group like mm -hmm. Avrio Day and that girl from 3LW with the lisp. That reminds me of the Ice Cube, the Ice Cube character in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. A, a super group. Yeah, who knows? But uh, I was upset reading this, especially because I was wondering where she was when I went to Lovers and Friends. Yeah. Let's take a break. Our secret movie this week was Your Choice. Mm hmm and in honor of hispanic heritage month you chose victimas del pecado a 1951 mexican drama film directed by emilio fernandez mm -hmm. the american or the english titles victims of the sin mm -hmm. uh why did you choose this one um so while i was in venice i had gotten an email about this film this unseen gem of golden age mexican cinema that was it's if you're in new york uh, starting october 6th at film forum on 209 west 
Houston Street. Uh, they are, are showing this new, uh, newly restored print of this film, which uh, if you're in the area, I highly recommend. But I, I read about it and I was like, whatever this is, I need to see it. And I want to see it now. And so I was able to get a screener for it. But <laughs> for people who don't know, Hispanic uh, Heritage Month runs from September 15th to October 15th. I know people always say it's like weird, like it's half the month. Yeah. But it is a full month. It's just it starts mid-month. And it's a celebration of the generations of Hispanic Americans who have positively influenced and enriched our nation and society. And this director is a big deal. Yes. I, I wanted to do a Ripstein film. And the next time I get a selection for the podcast, I might still do a, a Ripstein I haven't seen. But um, yes, this guy is a very big deal. Emilio Fernandez. So this film, the story, in Mexico City, a Cuban dancer from Cabaret Chungo rescues a baby from a garbage can and decides to raise him, but her pachuca pimp gets in her way. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. (laughs) Uh, It's in the style of like film noir, black and white. There's a like a, a ravishing lead female character who's played by Ninon Sevilla. She's stunning. She was kind of giving me like Venus Extravaganza from uh, Paris is Burning. Mm-hmm. She's beautiful. She also reminded me a little bit of uh, like a blonde Maribel Verdu. Okay. But the story is that she uh, plays the character Violetta and she works at the Cabaret Chango as a dancer. And one of her co-workers, Rosa... Mm-hmm. Rosa ain't shit. Rosa ain't shit. She gets <laughs> pregnant by this uh, Pachuca pimp named Rodolfo. Mm-hmm. And Pachuca just means like a flashy, like... Zoot know, suit wearing... Yeah, old raggedy ass pimp. But she gets pregnant by him. And then the girls, the, the other women at the club are telling him like, Rosa's at the clinic having your baby. Mm-hmm. And when and they're trying to tell him he's not trying to hear it. He even says, you know, I'm not into that. He's like, he's he basically says, keep your name out my mouth. Like I'm not into impregnating women and being responsible for the baby. You're ruining my reputation. But Rosa has the baby and she's begging Rodolfo, please, please, I'll do anything. Don't leave me because he's saying, I don't want to have shit to to do with you. This is not my problem. And this is at the club. This is at the club. She shows up with the baby at the club. Mm -hmm. And she is begging and pleading to this man to not dump her. And he's like, well, Throw away the baby. Like, get rid of it. He says, I want hard cash, not dead weight. And this lady, Rosa, puts her baby in the, not even in the trash. There's a trash bin on the corner that's full of trash. So she puts her baby on top of the trash. It's just sitting on top of this trash bin in Mexico City on a corner somewhere. Kind of like just another girl from the IRT. So she, yeah, basically. So she goes back to the club. And... And this is like she her vagina has just exploded. She's smoking a cigarette and crying while she's dancing with a customer. And Violetta sees her and it's like, oh, oh no. She runs over there like, bitch, where is your baby? And Rosa's telling Violetta, mind your own business, blah, blah, blah. You have never seen someone get slapped the way Violetta slaps this woman and says, No, where is your baby? I threw it away in the trash. So then we see Violetta run. Like a crazy person. <laughs> well, luckily there weren't a lot of trash cans she had to find. Right as like the dump truck is about to take this trash mm-hmm. bin and she finds the baby. So of course she brings the baby back to the club and the owner of the club is like, no, there will be no children in here. I don't care. Don Gonzalo. Yeah, he's And cool he ends too. up firing Violetta. 
So now she's like down and out, uh, working she's, as like a street prostitute. Yeah. When she meets this guy named Santiago. Played by Tito Junco. And Santiago turns out to be a really nice man. And he has a history with Rodolfo. He knows Rodolfo ain't shit. Rodolfo screwed him over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he really admires Violetta for her beauty, but also her humanity. Like he, he seems like he, he, he has a kindness towards her because she has chosen to raise this child who is not her own. And he also runs his own cabaret. And he runs his own cabaret, which is nicer than the cabaret she was in. Uh, it almost seems like on the verge of hell there on the train tracks, but the like location outside. is not the best, but I think the club seems a little nicer maybe, sure. but they end up, um, well, so it's important to know that Rodolfo goes to find Violetta and is beating her up, but then all the other like street workers like assault him mm -hmm. in a really cool scene, which we can talk about, but he ends up getting six years in prison, not so much for beating up Violetta, but he had robbed a movie theater and like shot and killed the cashier. Mm -hmm. So he gets six years in prison. So we get a montage of Santiago and Violetta, like living this lovely, happy life together, raising this little boy Juanito. The montage is told through cakes and the montage is yeah, the punctuated with like uh, birthday cakes, but we see that now he's like six or seven. And he's a really sweet kid. He does really well in school. He loves his parents. They seem happy. And then that's when Violetta realizes, oh, my God, Rodolfo's getting out of prison. And when he gets out of prison, where do you think he the goes? The first thing he does. The first thing he does is go to this club to find Violetta. Because he told her, I'm going to get you. He says, the only right in front of the judge, the only place you can't leave is your grave. He threatens her in front of the judge. And Santiago and Rodolfo get into a fight. And Rodolfo kills Santiago, Violetta's man. Mm -hmm. And then we get this like five minutes of like. So much happens. So much happens in five because minutes. the club closes down as a result of Santiago dying. Then Rodolfo takes his son. We don't know where Violetta is. And he's trying, he's trying to make his son like a common criminal. And we hear the boy saying, I'm not going to be a thief. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Violetta busts through the window of wherever Rodolfo and the boy are with his men in there too. And she shoots and kills Rodolfo without hesitation. <laughs> when I saw her coming through the window, I'm like, you better have a gun. And she sure does. It was jarring. It was, <laughs> it was, I was not expecting that she busts through that window. Like, <laughs> so she ends up going to prison and her son Juanito ends up being like a street urchin. <laughs> like he's shining shoe shoes and selling newspapers, looking all dusty. But there's like a female prison guard who talks to the warden of the prison and she's like, this Violetta lady, I have never seen someone as bad. Like she's just grief stricken. I've she never won't seen eat. Such she won't grief. And the prison warden's like, well, in lieu of this like grief, I think she deserves like a second look at her case. Well, they're also like, what is she being punished punished for? You don't get punished for cutting out a cancer because they, they It seems are. like people appreciate that she killed Rodolfo, yeah. but she's still in trouble. So it's Mother's Day. And Juanito does everything he can to buy his mom like a little gift. A pair of shoes. But ends up getting to the prison after visiting hours. And the security guards are so rude to him. So this little boy ends up like sleeping in front of the prison. When the prison warden comes out and sees him, he's like, little boy, what are you doing? I miss seeing my mom, blah, blah, blah. I think I can help you. And then immediately we see that... He, she's released mm -hmm. like they just let her go from prison on mother's day the end 
which strikes me this would be actually a good mother's day movie it, this would actually be a good mother's day movie yeah um this story is kind of ridiculous oh yeah but i love the drama of it i think the main character is well she's kind of captivating she's captivating yeah. i think the romance between her and santiago seems really sweet mm -hmm. i think it's cute that out of sort of this like Squalor. awful environment came this like really loving little family mm -hmm. and then of course tragedy struck and then and, you know and i always like at the end of a story where i'm like oh i, I, I wonder what they're up to like i hope violetta and juanito are okay did they find somebody else to help them yeah but this movie yeah the story is kind of like oh my god and there's some editing choices that are interesting mm -hmm. I, I do like how the film looks oh and it, okay we should maybe we should start there it's shot by uh Gabriel Figueroa, who's Oscar nominated for his work on Night of the Iguana for John Huston, which I also highly recommend, uh, but also uh, shot films for Bunuel and John Ford, uh, high, very notable uh, Mexican cinematographer. Uh, but the director, Emilio Fernandez, uh, who, who is an, also an actor, uh, Sam Peckinpah cast him in a few of his films, including The Wild Bunch. And he uh, was in the first uh, Mexican talkie basically Emilio Fernandez, but he uh, extremely notable. Uh, he directed the first Mexican film that's uh, played in Cannes, uh, Maria Candelaria. And also he won the golden line in Venice for a, an adaptation of John Steinbeck's the Pearl. Oh yeah. Um, but this, then, this film hasn't been seen in the U S I think uh, there was a screening in 1999 at some film restoration uh, festival or event or something, but this film was never released here. So this was quite the treat being able to see it. Yes. But I if people so. want to watch this, they would have to wait until it gets released on Criterion. Probably. Well, yeah, it's got the Janus logo. So I'm assuming that eventually this will be part of the Criterion collection. But like I said, to see it on the big screen uh, in New York, I think would also be such a treat. Yeah, I would definitely watch this movie again. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot of musical performances. I like the score, the musicality, because there are a lot of like like drum work. Like, because even though we're in Mexico City, the clubs we're in seem to be uh, like it's. I don't know much about this type of music, but it seems more like Cuban. It's very Ricky Ricardo to me. <laughs> it, it, it is, um, and uh, most of the principal characters mentioned that they were from Havana, and, uh, and a lot of the band members are like. Uh, afro-latino so i'm assuming they're like from cuba uh, so it has a very interesting vibe the style of the film is actually called a rumbera uh, which is uh <laughs> it sounds very specific but like a, a string of cabaret films that are geared towards the afro-caribbean community um so oh and the score uh th there's a lot of in Something I found really intriguing is there's a moment when we see Santiago walking with some of his men, and then it looks like he's with like a mariachi band or some sort of band, and they're playing. It, it's like the score is synced with a train coming mm -hmm. by, so it's like a choo-choo train, and it they they do it twice in the film, and I thought that was really really interesting because Santiago's club. There's a scene where uh, Violeta's outside with the baby, and it looks like hell. Like it looks like oh, an industrial hellscape. Well, and the pollution is like, yeah, it's pretty. Some of those visuals are pretty. Well, they're very effective. It's very striking, but it's like, ooh, you get the black lung just walking around outside. There. Let me go through some of these notes. Uh, there's a moment when Violetta is dancing at the first club where it looks like she's dancing with a young Barack Obama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Um, 
I have to go back to when Violetta confronts Rosa about where her baby is and she is slapping her. It's very telenovela. Oh like, yeah. Cause she's doing that slap. That's like, right back to the left, back to the room. <laughs> but she did. It was very effective. Cause she is like, where is your baby? Oh. Can you imagine like a mother just throwing her baby? I mean, she really, you know, the sad part is that Rosa is, Rosa's simple. Well, Rosa's broken. Yeah. That lady just had a baby and you chasing this man and you threw your baby away. Oh my God. Oh, uh, the the man the the physicality in this film, there's a lot of uh a lot of people being roughed up. Oh, there's a whole lot of slapping. We didn't even talk about the character Rita. No, but we'll get to her. Well, I'm gonna get to her right now because there are a couple the songs that are being sung in the clubs are very sexual. Mm-hmm. There's one song Violetta singing with the lyrics like "I want some clams, serve me some clam clams. juice." <laughs> like, yeah, I can taste the clam juice. Like, like, oh my god! And then Rita is singing a song about like having sex, I guess, with an impotent man, and she's like, "Oh, Jose, don't go soft on me. Let's yeah. make it a bit harder." Like, yeah. <laughs> and all these men are cheering like, "Dummy, she's talking about y'all weak ass game." But whatever. <laughs> um. Oh, poor Violetta. So she has this baby. She's ne- she's never been a mother, so she doesn't know what to do. And some other lady's like, well, you have to breastfeed this baby. Don't give it formula. It Like it needs mother's milk. You need to go find a wet nurse. So then we get a scene where Violetta's running around trying to find some oh, breast milk. Yeah. And I just felt, it made me feel very warm towards her. Mm-hmm. Like, she, I mean, she just... It's interesting how like she's not the mother, but her, she's reacting like in a very motherly way. Mm-hmm. Like she can't give the baby milk; she, it's not her child, and yet she's fighting harder to protect this baby than its actual mother. And she just did it instinctually because mm-hmm. she was even fighting for Rosa before she threw the baby away, mm-hmm. right? Because she was saying, "Let's raise some money to help her," because she's at the clinic and. Well, yeah, she's doing the. She has a strong moral compass. Very compassionate person, and and it's really interesting to see her because then we get some other female characters who work in the new club who are very kind to her. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you can share our room. You can have our room. We'll help watch this kid. We'll help watch the kid here. You don't have a dress. Here's my nicest dress. Mm -hmm. Wear it. I thought that was all very sweet. Mm -hmm. Whenever I see Violetta's wearing white pumps. And whenever I see white pumps, I think about how RuPaul always says that white pumps are the true sign of a prostitute. <laughs> but she had nice white pumps. At least. She looked really good. She looked pretty fly. Yeah. Um, so Violetta gets fired by that old man from the club because he's tired of her and so his baby. Don Gonzalo. So not only does she get fired, but Rita goes with her because Rita tries to stand up for Because Rita tries to stick up for Violetta. She gets fired. And then... But they're... Rita manhandles Don Gonzalo. She shakes the shit out of him. And then makes an <laughs> announcement to the club about what a dirty old man he is. And then a riot ensues. Yes. <laughs> there are people falling from like... <laughs> It looked like they really fell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there were stunt doubles. So then we see poor Violetta like working on the corner as a prostitute. And the first John we see her with is Santiago, but he chooses not to have sex with her because he sees the baby and then he feels like kindness towards her and says, actually, if you're looking for work, I have a club um, that's better than the one you were at. Mm-hmm. Here's, you know, come find me and I'll give you a job. So the moment they meet, he's very nice to her, which I, which I liked. 
There was another at, at the Don Gonzalo's club. There's a, some notable man that shows up to sing, but he, he sings at his table. He's flanked by these two women that look scared as hell. Do you remember that scene? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then but, he gets yeah. mobbed by the way, but the song he's singing, the, the, at least the translation of the lyrics made no damn sense to me, but cause there's part of the refrain is why did fate make you a sinner? If you don't know how to sell your heart. <laughs> Well, you know. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know. Um, the club Santiago owns is called La Machina Loca, the crazy machine. I, like I thought that. that was cute. Yeah. Okay. So when Rodolfo goes to confront Violetta uh before she and Santiago are like an item, he first of all, he takes her perfume <laughs> and he douses himself with because you know the old timey perfume that had like the, the pump. pump. Yeah. He he took like eight sprays of her perfume. I'm like, oh, he's crazy. And then he is whooping her ass. She's trying to fight him too because he tries to grab the baby. He's gonna kill the baby. Yeah. That's another thing. Like her instincts kicked in, mm -hmm. like 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 a mama lion. Mm -hmm. She jumped on that man, but he yeah. got the upper hand. She also has an interesting scar on her face that I don't know is supposed to be from him beating her up. It pops up because it pops up out of nowhere. It pops up after the progress. The kids aged. So I was confused by that, but she's screaming, and so like twenty of the other streetwalkers There's come into her little room, and it was a very. It reminds me of the scene. There's another movie that has a scene similar where all these people run it. Oh, it's suddenly last summer when the boys are like killing Sebastian. Venable. Killing Sebastian. It kind of had that vibe sure. to me. Uh, they obviously don't kill Rodolfo, but they do drag his ass down to the police, and then again in front of the judge threatening <laughs> Rodolfo's threatening Violetta Rodolfo's, Rodolfo's, um, Violetta is bleeding he's like I've never beaten up a woman and then he's like I don't know who any of these wenches are you lie you lie you never lie so much it was oh I was so mad he only got six years and he killed a cashier at the movie theater. and they show that yeah I bet you Violetta got more time for killing Rodolfo probably that he got for <laughs> whatever um when Violetta sees that Santiago is dead. Her reaction was really weird, but she, we all grieve differently. She's she, stuck. She's she stuck, stuck yeah. which was kind of like, oh, but then she finally breaks down. I, I, I thought that was well done. Mm -hmm. um, why did I write down a Mexican Martin Sheen? Because I said <laughs> that Rodolfo looked like a Mexican Martin oh. Sheen to me. <laughs> Played if by uh, Rodolfo Acosta. If you if you do get the chance to watch this movie, the, really the highlight is Violetta busting through that window to shoot mm -hmm. Rodolfo. You, I mean, it it is something out of like Tropic Thunder. I don't even know. It's so crazy. <laughs> she just busts. It's like the Kool Aid Man on crack. It's so out of control. Yeah, not through the door, through the damn window. She crawls right in. <laughs> so when we see little Juanito like all homeless and dirty looking on the street like Oliver Twist like yeah. Oliver Twist yes uh, a, a, a little newsy I need to watch that movie with Christian Bale actually I hate newsies I find that so I'm hard just curious to, to see him younger singing but oh, we um, should watch that Spielberg film he did Empire of the Sun oh and Little Women well anyway when Juanito <laughs> goes to prison to visit his mom at a point he goes oh I'm sorry to cut this short, but I have to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the sweetest little professional homeless kid worker. <laughs> do, you, it do you remember I took you to a screening of it probably like 2009 
with Ginger Rogers and David Niven, Bachelor Mother, where no. she shows that the baby shows up on her doorstep and she just decides to raise it. No. But she's a single woman and it's the 30s in the US. So, you know, you look like a tramp just Is doing that. Yeah, it's 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 lovely where I don't like David Niven, but don't you remember the scene where it's New Year's Eve and they fall in love and he's like, we can keep having New Year's Eve by going to different time zones and re-experiencing the same moments. That kind of sounds familiar. Oh, we own it. It's it's if you haven't seen if dear listener, Bachelor Mother's very sweet. <laughs> did, did did you get out what you wanted to get out? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't have anything else to say about this movie. What would you give it? Uh, three and a half. I thought it was very good. Three and a half out of five. Mm-hmm. What do we have going on this week? Oh, there is a screening. I was hoping to see it today, this afternoon. There's a, a restoration screening of a Kira Miratova film called Long Farewell. Well, we are, our review for The Creator comes out next week. Um, what is next week? Or uh, this week. I guess Sunday's technically next week. But. Oh, the there's a new Saw movie. We have to watch the new Saw, Saw 10, which I know is going to be terrible. Yeah, but I think we have a screening of Dick's The Musical, which should be fun next oh, week. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, and The Exorcist. Is that next week? Is it? Or the week out. That, the, the screening info just came out, but I'm, I'm very nervous about that. Very nervous. <sighs> the trailer made it like I watched the trailer and I thought the part with. Yeah. Are we going to try to see, because I'm, I'm assuming there will be screenings of Friedkin's original in L.A. Well, you know, I'm busy, very busy, very important. So we'll have to see how the week goes. Do you want to see that in the theater? Or do you want to see it? I mean, it probably would make sense for me to just watch it at home uh, for time purposes. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> is is there a screening somewhere? I'm sure there is. I could look. Um, well... But yeah, other than that, there we, we can, uh, if you find a screening of The Exorcist, we can do an open call for anyone who wants to go to that screening. No, they're an open call. Well, because I keep saying we should probably announce when we go to like, like screenings that are open to the public. Sure. Because sure. 90% of the stuff we see, like people couldn't join us. That's true. But if we go to like a movie where we had to pay, we could tell people ahead of time. So if they wanted to like bump into us and say hi, they could. Well, my new favorite place in L.A. for the- theater going, besides um, the Alamo Draft House downtown, is the American Cinematheque in Los Feliz. There's also, uh, uh, well, the Egyptians reopening. I didn't realize it was closed in Hollywood and then the Arrow Theater. But since we live not too far from, I, I love the programming at the Cinematheque. Mm. Anything else? No. All right. Ta-ta.